All right, good morning. My name is Adam Casel. I'm the vision and administration pastor uh, here on staff. Um, before I, I get into my message, I just uh, want to bring up something that Kara kind of sp- spoke out uh, during worship and that I was noticing, and grace is thick uh, this morning. Um, I mean, I, for me, as I was worshiping, it, it felt like almost like humidity, you know, you're in a really humid climate. Uh, and so I think that's here for us. And I just want to take a moment uh, for us to receive what, what God has for us. And so where you are, just stay seated. Feel free to close your eyes and put your hands palm up just on, on your lap. Because grace simply is a gift. It's a gift. And, and God has a gift for each one of us. And uh, I'll, I'll bring this up at the end, but um, I was smelling some, a very distinct smell and, uh, that is like a, it's a balm or a, a salve. And so grace, does, it covers over whatever hurt we have, whatever insufficient we, insufficiency that we're feeling. It covers over that and it heals it. And so God has that available for you this morning. And so... Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to those of us uh, this morning who are acutely aware of that need and that area where we need your grace to touch us today? Jesus, thank you for, for telling Paul, and it's true for us, that your grace is sufficient because your power is made perfect in weakness. It's made complete in our weakness. So we say more, Holy Spirit, we see you working. More, Lord. Thank you for the burdens that you're easing. Thank you for the the healing that's coming right now, physical or emotional, spiritual. And anybody who's feeling like, I'm not worthy of this gift, that's why it's a gift. It's a gift. So even lay down that feeling of unworthiness Feel your heavenly father smile on you as his beloved son or daughter. Lord, thanks for your presence. Thank you that you'll continue working. The Lord's gonna gonna keep moving. Um, so I'll just close, and we'll move into the the message. Um, I am aware of the time, so I'm I'm gonna shorten my message. Notes will be on the website. 
if you uh, want to see the, the missing parts. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2. Another one of the many reasons that we need grace is that unfortunately favoritism exists in our world, in our country, in our state, in our city, in our churches. It's all around us. Some of us here have have experienced another person preferring somebody else over you on the basis of gender, skin color, uh, socioeconomic status, education, or lack thereof, or your age. That's a reality of, of our world. And I know that everybody here would be outraged and or heartbroken to hear of that happening. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the reality of the world. And unfortunately, it's going to be that way until Jesus comes back. That's not apathy. That's not resignation. It's the reality of sin. Sin is very much present in our world. The sin of favoritism is not unique to any time period, ethnic group, gender, or age. And I say that based on how, as we'll see in a moment, the way that James talks about uh, in his epistle, and as a reminder of who his audience is. So we are in a series uh, in James, in this epistle. It's, it's known by, uh, by the name of the author, James, who was uh, the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the epistle has a heavy emphasis on wisdom and how we ought, and I use that word intentionally, how we ought to live. James clearly puts forward a standard of living that, uh, that we as believers, as followers of Jesus, are called to live by. As a, as a leader, James wants his, his readers to aspire to maturity in the faith. A couple of weeks ago, Randy, when he was talking, he said, if, if you read James, it feels like he jumps around from topic to topic. There's a good reason for that. James jumps around from topic to topic. He'll, he'll talk about an idea, and then he'll switch to another topic, and then uh, down the road, he'll come back to uh, that previous idea. James is very practical. He wants people to know how and to actually live out loving God and loving others in a very practical way. And we'll see that, uh, an exa- another example of that this morning. So I'm going to read uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. It will be on the screen. James writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. But whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. But if you do not if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your word. You have something for each one of us this morning. And this is a, a challenging word, but we know that your grace is here. Uh, your mercy is here. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, um, bring conviction where we need it. And we also... Um, in the name of Jesus, speak to the enemy who wants to bring condemnation along with it, that that is not allowed. Father, we, only, we want only what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, James addresses the sin of favoritism. What I want us to remember this morning is that According to James, favoritism harms the body and the heart. Favoritism is, is the key repeated word in this passage that I read this morning. So James uh, tells us that favoritism harms the, a body of believers and it harms the heart of each individual believer. So the first, first part in verses 1 through 7 is where we see James talking about uh, the sin of favoritism, harming a body of believers. He starts with, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The rest of the passage he's talking about, or, or these verses one through seven, about the harm that favoritism causes, but here looking at the basis for why we ought not to show favoritism. So he says it brings division. That, that's harmful. But more importantly, our identity as believers of the Lord Jesus and those who have given allegiance to him is as those who don't show favoritism. We are called to a different standard. As believers, we live in the tension of two kingdoms. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. There's, 
uh, an ethos, a, an ethic that we're called to, living, to live according to. And here, as I said, it's those who don't show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. His gifts are irrespective of a person's uh, position in life. Those who are rich don't have all the, the higher gifts. God doesn't, doesn't look at that. God does not show favoritism. Our earthly kingdom that we all are also living in rewards favoritism to certain groups. But again, James says we must not show favoritism. We are all on level ground when compared to Jesus. That's why James refers to him as the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glorious one. And every other person, every other group falls woefully short when we are compared to Jesus. If we think there's any comparison between an individual and Jesus or a group of people and Jesus, we're not seeing Jesus. Favoritism is the result of comparison. So if our eyes are not on Jesus, if they drop down and we're looking at one another, we're going we're gonna to create groups. We're going to say this group is better than that group. This group is, is more worthy of, of attention than that group. Again, it's the result of favoritism. Now, James is highlighting the difference between rich and poor, because across cultures and across time, as I said earlier, uh, the rich tend to be favored in every culture and society. So in the first week, we talked about how James is writing to believers scattered around the region. So by this time that James is writing, you have uh, believers who are in Israel. They're in Western Asia and Eastern Europe and Northeastern Africa. So what James has to say here is applicable over those three continents, those three areas, different cultures, different people groups, and yet all of them, according to James, are susceptible to favoring the rich over the poor. According to James, what makes favoritism so harmful is that it's based on outward appearance. I'll say that again. Favoritism is harmful because it's based on outward appearance. Notice James is highlighting what people are wearing. A man who comes in, fine clothes and a gold ring, and then a, another man in old, dirty clothes. That's the basis for how they're treating other people. That causes division, and it brings harm to the body of Christ. If we are showing favoritism as believers, if we show favoritism to any group, but here the rich, we're playing the world's game the world's way. There's nothing that stands out about that. A rich person, if we show favoritism to a rich person, they get that all the time. There's, again, there's nothing special about that. And so... We either 
continue doing what they're used to, to receiving from other people, this, this favoritism, special treatment based on their outward appearance, or we water down the message, which causes harm to their soul or their spirit. That's a far greater loss. A number of years ago, I was at a conference, and a guy I was speaking, talking to, um, we got on the topic of sports, and he, he knew about different teams that I, I like rooting for, and so he, he told me, he goes, oh, I was flying somewhere, I was in an airport on a layover, and there was a Starbucks nearby, and I went in the Starbucks, and in front of me was this massive human being, like 6'5", over 200 pounds of all muscle, and he's really well-dressed. And there's three young ladies uh, behind the counter in this Starbucks. And they have, uh, they've given him their full, undivided attention. Right? There's one, one woman making his drink. She's totally focused on that, making the perfect drink. The lady behind the counter is you know, engaging with him. Another lady is getting food. Is there anything else we can get for you? Do you, uh, do you want another pastry? Do you want a sandwich? There, and uh, so he finally... They've got a bunch of stuff on the counter. He's got his drink, and he takes out uh, his money to pay. And they, oh, no, 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 it's on us. It's on us today. And the guy that's talking to me is like, well, I showed up at the right Starbucks. They're just giving away free food, free drinks. And so, he, you know, the gentleman in front of him said, oh, thank you very much. He takes the stuff and leaves. The guy steps up, orders his drink and his food, you know, kind of expectant, get something for free. And they tell him how much it is. So he pays, and, and uh, he's standing there waiting for his drink. He goes, just curious, who was that guy in front of me? And her eyes get real big. That was Calvin Johnson. If you don't know who Calvin Johnson is, he was a wide receiver. At the time that he played, was a, the most dominant wide receiver. He had just been drafted and signed a multi-million dollar uh, contract, rookie contract. He didn't need free food from Starbucks. But that's what we do. That's what we do. The, the rich in various places, they're shown favoritism. They keep getting free stuff. For us, though, it's not a matter of if we show favoritism, but how. Who do we prefer based on, our out, on their outward appearance alone? Who do we discount or dismiss because of outward appearance? Now, we're all drawn to people who look, think, and act like us. It's not a bad thing. That's human nature. It becomes detrimental when we show favoritism to those who look, think, and act like, this, like us at the expense of others. So who do we tend to show favoritism toward and why? Do we see the rich? And again, the rich is just anybody who we think has more money than us. Right? There, I don't, there's no line of demarcation of once you're over this, you're rich. So do we, do we show favoritism because we see them as better than us? Or that it benefits us in some way? is the thought, hey, if we show, if we do a favor for them, they're going to be able to do a favor for us. Or do we hope that it would elevate our status? That if rich people know my name, life is going to be better 
So favoritism can bring about division within the body of Christ, causing harm. The other part of favoritism harming the body and the heart is that it harms the heart of the individual believer. So throughout Scripture, literally from the beginning, we see how sin harms individuals and society. James goes on to talk about that, uh, verses 8 through 13, that if we show favoritism, that's a sin. And we get convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, as Randy and I were, were talking about this, we realized James is not particularly pastoral. He's a prophet. All right? He wants people to examine their lives and to, to see, do I have uh, an authentic faith? Is my allegiance to Jesus alone, to Yahweh alone? That's the concern of a prophet, which James is demonstrating here. He goes on to talk about that if we show favoritism, we are not loving our neighbors as ourselves, which Jesus says is the second part of the greatest commandment, loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's why James calls it the royal law. So James also says that if we break any law, we're, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. And he mentions two of the, the big ones that the, his readers would not have given much resistance towards saying, you know, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery. He's borrowing Jesus' line of reasoning from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus says, hey, lust leads to adultery, hatred leads to murder. And so for, for James, he's saying if we can overcome this sin of favoritism, the likelihood of murdering or committing adultery drops significantly. That's a unique line of reasoning in the Bible about human nature, that if these little issues in our lives were able to resist and to overcome by God's grace, the big things become far less attractive to us. It doesn't take long to read a news story of an organization committing uh, or breaking egregious laws or individuals, well-known individuals who have a, a moral failure of some sort and that uh, oftentimes when they are caught, they're like, I don't know how I got here. We don't know how we ended up like this. But if you look back, it was the small compromises along the way that led to the big one. And so James is addressing that here this morning. That if we, as followers of Jesus, are able to resist favoritism, that our obedience to the whole law, that brings freedom. James talks about the law bringing freedom. We often don't think about it that way. Because we think freedom is, I get to do whatever I want. That's not the, the biblical understanding of freedom. Uh, to quote a, um, a scholar I came across talking about this idea of freedom, saying when, when James speaks of the law of freedom, 
That word means the new way of life in which one lives in accordance with the will of God. Even the verb is used in the New Testament exclusively for the act through which, has, which occurs or has occurred through Jesus. The truth will make you free, and we have been set free from sin. So again, freedom from a biblical perspective is not life without constraints. It's living life with proper constraints. Not life without constraints, but life with proper constraints. Our second oldest son, less than a year ago, decided he wanted to learn how to play the drums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was, sorry, I'm trying to think, should I share this or not? He'll be on, on worship team next week. You didn't hear that from me. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to Nancy and Logan for that. He is spending hours, hours a week learning how to play, play the drums. He's watching videos. He's hanging out with Logan Hendrickson, getting lessons. He's put on himself the constraint of practice and practice and practice and learning. And he can play songs by ear now. He's got the freedom to play different songs, uh, to play with our youth group worship, because he's put on himself the constraint of practice. He's put on a proper constraint. That gives him freedom to be able to pray, play freely and play a variety of songs. Another area in which we can experience the freedom that comes from the, the law is that we are free to love others as ourselves. That's true freedom. Loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. The best person I know of just loving a person as themselves is my wife. She is so good. There's zero sense of judgment or her scanning for other people to interact with. People feel incredibly at peace in her presence. Have you ever had the experience that you're talking to somebody and you can tell they're kind of looking over your shoulder, looking for somebody more important to talk to? Or they're inter engaging with you because you know they want something from you. That's the only reason they're talking to you, trying to get something from you. We can feel the favoritism of others. And James wants us to be free because he knows the harm that it brings to individual believers. Uh, verses 12 and 13, James talks about mercy and how mercy triumphs over judgment. And friends, for those of us who have trusted Jesus, we've all received his mercy. And actually the the best reason, the greatest reason for any of us to live free of favoritism is because Jesus, the richest one, made himself poor in order that we might be rich in him. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 8-9 if you want to look at that. Again, Jesus, the one who has access to everything, emptied himself in order that we who are spiritually impoverished might become rich in him. 
And, and one of the ways we can show our, our understanding of the mercy that we've received is actually loving and serving and getting to know the poor. At this church, uh, this is the third food pantry I've been a part of um, with, uh, along with two other churches that, I, that I've been at. And I've been able to serve with each of them. The most encouraging thing I've ever heard from each of these is, this is my favorite food pantry to come to because I get treated like a person. I know people care for me and because they, they remember my name. They remember the things that they prayed for me. They ask how that is. Friends, we're, we're a community, fortunately, that is experiencing the benefit of, of loving and serving the poor. That's, that, if, whether, even if you're not a part of the food pantry, have never come, you benefit from it. That's true across all churches that have a, a, a strong food pantry. So thanks to those who serve regularly and really care for and, and love the poor, you're benefiting the whole church. Well, like I said, I've, um, quite a bit I cut out this morning because of time. So if you want to uh, want to read more, those notes will be on the website. So this time... Um, band could come forward and our ministry team, anybody on our ministry team who's available, I want to give us an opportunity uh, to respond to God's grace and his mercy for us this morning. So as I, as I said, um, James wants us, wants us to see that favoritism harms the body and the heart. It, it harms a, a body of believers. It harms each individual believer's heart. And that whenever we elevate one group, in, in this case the rich, over another, uh, the poor, it harms, it harms us. That sin of favoritism is, is very real in our world and probably for some of us this morning, we're realizing it in our own lives. So as a part of our ministry time, um, maybe you're realizing you need to repent of favoritism that you're, you're noticing in your own life. An opportunity just to, to lay it down, to move beyond that, to live free from favoritism. At the beginning, I, I mentioned some of us here maybe have experienced the negative effects of another person's favoritism. And so we're realizing we actually have some unforgiveness that we're holding on to around that. So there's an opportunity for us to lay that down as well. I had the um, sense this morning Maybe it's related to this issue, but maybe it's something else. That some this morning are feeling the weight of, of guilt or shame, that it's heavy on us, almost like slumped shoulders. And the Lord wants to lift that from us. And in particular, I think some who are constantly beating themselves up over this thing. I just want to say, uh, it hasn't worked and it won't work. 
So try something else. Don't beat yourself up for it. The Lord's grace is sufficient to be able to lay that down and to receive his love, his life, his mercy. And I think as I said at the beginning, kind of, there's even that, this idea, God wants to apply a balm or a salve of grace to cover over what that hurt is for you and to bring healing. We also have the personal prayer art over here. If uh, anybody wants to get a, uh, a prophetic word through a picture, and then um, we received a few uh, words this morning during uh, during worship. I'll let Dana, Delena, share those. Yeah, the Lord wants to speak to those of us who um, think you're left out of the goodness of Him. Like, this is great for you, but nothing ever changes for me. So all three words fit together for that. And the first one, oops, upside down. Um, the first one was hope. There are some here who have lost hope. They pray and they don't see anything change. God reminds us that he is faithful. He brings the sun up every morning. Trust that he is aware of you. And let the sun remind you of the sun. The Lord sees you. He has seen your misery. It's a real thing. He sees it. Know that he has heard your cries and that he sees you. And then to wrap all that up by the goodness of God. He says, and I, I really want you to hear Jesus' heart for you if this is where you are. Come back, my beloveds. Come back. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far I have separated your sins from you. Stop, stop, stop looking at your sins. Cease from obsessing and dwelling on them. Beloved, shift your gaze upon me. Me, me. Meditate, integrate Psalm 103 into your souls. Look and gaze upon Jesus. This is who I am. Today, 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 now make a decision on where you will, your gaze will be. Please focus on me. I am. I am the path, and I am the one who created all, all the ones. I am the created you, the one who created you, and focus on me. So if that's any part of you, um, Jesus sees you, he knows your misery, and he's here to give more hope to you. All right. So we're a little bit over, but I want to invite you. If any of these things stand out to you, come get prayer. Our, our team is here. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, if you need to need to go pick up kids, um, you, you are dismissed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you rest. Amen. Thanks. Have a great week.